One of the coolest things about being a dad is the reception I get when I walk into my house after being away at work. I often get daddy and hugs and glad you're home. Yeah, it's, it's a cool moment. And I remember wanting my dad to be home and how excited it was when he would get home from work when I was a child. He actually usually came home at lunch and then came home after work and then he'd often go back in to work after dinner. He was a businessman, worked in the business office. I'd always tell him when he'd leave, Daddy, blink and wave. That was our thing. He'd blink the hazard lights, which was pretty exciting, I guess, if you're three, and he'd wave with both hands, and that was awesome. When he'd come home, though, he'd run, and there was a hug, and there was a smell of skin bracer aftershave, and uh, maybe a briefcase, some cool work stuff like briefcases, and he had a trench coat in the winter and an umbrella, and I just had this excitement about Dad coming home when I was a kid, unless I'd been naughty, <laughs> and then Mom said, wait till your dad gets home. And that meant a spanking for me. But generally speaking, I had a lot of excitement about the return of my dad. Occasionally, he even invited me into some work projects that he had to do, raking or, or picking up pine cones or maybe mowing the yard as I got older. And I loved glimpses into my dad's world, and I longed to spend time with him. We heard Holly read some pretty epic things that are going to happen when Jesus returns, uh, but we also heard about some really significant things that we get called to do between now and the time he comes back. I think we'll find some similarities about longing for our, our father to come back with longing for Jesus and what he calls us into. Jesus' certain return, he is coming back. Jesus' certain return gives us confidence in our mission. And one thing Peter talked about in this chapter here was the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will certainly come with both blessing and judgment. Maybe you've heard this before, Jesus is coming back, because he is. It's his theme throughout the New Testament. And right after he ascended in Acts chapter 1, <coughs> he lifted off the ground into, into the heavens. The disciples and a lot of his followers were watching there on, on the Mount of Olives, and they're staring into the sky, and these two angels come and they say, why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. It was promised right when he left. He's coming back at some point. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So the return of Christ is to be an encouraging thing for us, we even look forward to it in communion, the Lord's Supper. It says in Paul's instructions, when you remember the Lord's Supper, you commemorate, you remember his death until he comes back. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're saying yes, and someday we'll take it with you in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And the day of the Lord is a theme actually through the whole Bible. It's a big theme in the prophets. And uh, for some, it's a day of blessing. Here's an example from Micah chapter 4. In the last days... The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It'll be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. A lot of people coming and turning to God. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Isn't that cool? These weapons of offense, these weapons of war, won't we'll, we'll be needed anymore. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for a war anymore. 
and then this abundance. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's a day of blessing. It's also a day of judgment, though. We see judgment themes along with the day of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 13 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They'll writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. So the day of the Lord is coming, and the Bible says that God's people ought to have a longing for this. We ought to be anticipating it, not primarily because we want to see justice, because we want to see our enemies paid back and all the wrongs made right, though justice is a part of God's character, and that'll be part of the day of the Lord. Not primarily because we want the blessings of heaven and freedom from pain and all the great things that come along with it, but primarily because we want to be with the Lord. That passage in 1 Thessalonians I read says, we will be with the Lord forever. That is the great hope. That's where our hope for Jesus' return is grounded. We get to be with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with our Heavenly Father, and we should long for this. And I wonder, though, sometimes if if our longing for Christ's return or or even our, our longing for God is not so much a desire to be with Him, but just a desire for His stuff. We want God's stuff. Imagine a kid that's waiting for their dad to come back from a trip somewhere, and all they want is the lollipop dad brings, you know, or the toy from the airport. You know, lollipops are great. It's great to be thought of by dad, but if you don't have a desire for a relationship with dad when he's back, that's kind of messed up. And so we ought to long for the presence of God. Maybe if you're a parent and the first thing you hear out of your kids' mouths when they get home is, hey, dad, can I have 20 bucks? And then they run off and they go see a movie with their friends. Like, you maybe feel like there's some manipulation going on there. We want and we hunger for a relationship with our kids, and it's great when they won't long for one with us, too. So when it comes to longing for the return of Christ, I wonder if we are at some level trying to manipulate God and saying, I'm really in this for God's stuff. I want the blessings. I want the good stuff. Uh, I think adding church attendance to my list of good deeds is going to Go to my resume, and it will get me some business opportunities in the community, and it'll get me ahead in life. And uh, I want God to answer my prayers in a timely manner. I don't ask for much, but we can make these little deals with God, and isn't that kind of sick that we try to manipulate God and say, I'm in this for the good stuff, not a minute for you. If you long for more of God, you will not be disappointed, because he will give you more of himself. But I, I think a lot of times we struggle with this ebbing and flowing of longing for Jesus. And I think some of the reasons maybe we don't long for his return is we've forgotten or never been told what an amazing day the day of the Lord will be for God's people. All of our deepest longings met. Every trial and pain washed away and we get to be in God's presence forever. It's amazing. I wonder too, though, if we don't long for Christ's return because we, we become self-absorbed involved in our own projects, building our own kingdoms, and our own pleasure is the bottom line for us. And perhaps the return of Christ even threatens some of those things. We think, it's okay if Christ comes back, but maybe not yet. I got some things I want to do first. And so maybe we don't have a real longing for his return. And Peter talks about scoffers that are going to come, and they're going to scoff at God not keeping his promise to return, saying things like, 
It's been so long since it was promised. He's not coming. You guys are freaks and fanatics. Just give it up. And we've seen so many of these signs that they all, they become like a cultural phenomenon. You know, we joke about them. The end is near. But the message of the Bible is that we are instructed to be ready and not to be caught off guard. The end is near. We hear from the word of God that Christ's return will be sudden. It'll be evident to all. You won't have to surprise, be surprised and say, did, did I miss it? Everyone will know when the return of Christ comes, the day of the Lord. It'll come at a time that we can't know, though we do see signs. And as the signs ebb and flow, we can get more excited, more enthusiastic and say, could it be today, Lord? Maybe it's today. That'd be wonderful. If someone tells you they know the day or the hour, we know they're wrong because Christ says we will not know the day or the hour. But if they say the return of Christ can't be coming soon, they're also wrong. And when people ask me, do you think that Christ is coming back soon? I say, it's nearer today than it's ever been. Today, we're one step closer to Christ's return than we were yesterday. So yes, it's near. It was near for Paul. It's near for us. But these scoffers, they lack perspective. They lack perspective about the fact that God lives outside of time. They forget, as Holy read, that a day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years are like a day. God doesn't experience time moment by moment like we have to. He lives outside of time. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest theologians of the last century, said, almost certainly God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following upon one another. If a million people are praying to him at 1030 tonight, he need not listen to them in that order or to listen to them in that one little snippet that we call 1030. 1030 is always the present for him. It's kind of mind-boggling. So scoffers can lose the perspective that God lives outside of time, but also the perspective that there is a grand story that God is in charge of, and he's on the throne. He reigns over human history. Verses 5 to 7, it talks about uh, these scoffers forget. They deliberately forget. They choose to forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There's three main chapters to this story, creation, fall, redemption. We see it actually on microcosm in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we see God creating all. We see our first parents sinning. And actually that, that second chapter of fall, we still live with all the effects of that. And we continue to disobey the way that Adam and Eve did. But redemption was even promised in Genesis 3.15, the first declaration of the gospel. And then the whole Bible is a story of unpacking that third chapter of redemption. How is God reversing the effects of sin? And how is Jesus? And then how are we even a part of this story? There's a grand plot of history, and it's a very optimistic plot. And we know how the story ends. It's heading to a very exciting climax. And along the way, we are drawn into the story as active participants. I think sometimes, though, we can get this attitude that things are so terrible, it's so dangerous in the world, and all these things out there, and the kids, and did you realize that in America, it is safer now than it's ever been? We live in the safest country, and one of the, some of the safest times, but we freak out so much, and we say, oh, they're going to get us. Uh, but even if it were unsafe, the Lord has our back. He's got us. We don't have to live afraid and worried and hiding we can tell ourselves sometimes that, oh, God must not know what's going on. Maybe his plans are being thwarted. Maybe I should just go into hiding uh, and, and just be away from people because it's so scary. 
Or maybe I got to fight back. I got to be a bully and I got to go out there and, and push the issue for God. But that's not what the scripture says. We shouldn't be surprised that people are more and more wicked. They've always been wicked, by the way. The problem is right in here. We shouldn't be surprised. And even as the world gets darker and darker, that means our job to be salt and light is even easier because light shines even brighter when it's dark, right? Salt tastes even better when the food is bland or the popcorn is bland. Love popcorn and salt. It may seem to you that God's doing nothing while the world goes to hell. But that is not what's happening. God has a lot of strategic plans happening in his kingdom. And one of the cool things about my job as a pastor of outreach and also with the B1 group you heard about earlier is I get to be part of and see some really, really cool things happening in our county. For instance, uh, Dove's Landing, a 100-acre ministry site on the South Umpqua Valley set apart for Youth for Christ to use for outreach, for discipleship. There's people fixing and repairing and riding dirt bikes around there for Jesus. Uh, there, there are loggers that came in after all the timber fell, right? Last week, two weeks ago, there are Christ-following career loggers who are experts who are working with young people who want to go into forestry and high school kids that want to learn how to use chainsaws cutting up timber for Jesus. I love it. Uh, maybe you didn't know, but we have the largest women's shelter in Oregon here in Rollsburg, and we've got a great men's shelter where people are not just taught how to, do, how to manage the system, but also taught life skills, are discipled, and there's great things happening there. We've got a cool second chance employment movement in town where people who have had a terrible past and have, have gone to prison are being redeemed by Jesus, are being hired by employers, by giving, giving hope and love, and they're discipled in the faith. And these employers are saying, there's something different about these people. I think we know what it is. Uh, I heard last month at our pastor's gathering about 25 Christian coaches in our county who have a network and are working to influence young people. We could talk about churches adopting schools to demonstrate the character of God. Uh, we could talk about our state foster care system standing up and taking notice of faith-based groups who are recruiting foster parents and supporting foster parents. Uh, countless stories amongst you of Christ followers demonstrating Christ's love in their workplaces in creative and cool ways. So please be encouraged. God is not surprised. This is a wonderful time for the kingdom of God. So we need to take care lest we become scoffers. We think that God's disengaged, or we think the world's irredeemable. And most importantly, if, if we lazily say, I'm going to take care of my own kingdom, making myself happy at the end of the day, because that's really what matters. And, and, and there are lots of different attitudes about the return of Christ. Some people can't wait for Christ to come back. Especially, it seems like it's almost proportionate to the amount of suffering in their life. There is immense persecution and suffering happening in Asia and happening in Africa to Christians. Wouldn't you know that's where the church is growing the fastest? We shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I know firsthand accounts of people who are, are having dreams and visions of the Lord speaking to them and Muslim background people coming to faith in Christ. Heard a cool story even yesterday about that. But where there's persecution, where there's opposition, that's where faith is growing. And they're saying, can it get any harder than this? I don't know. Lord, come back soon. Deliver us. Maranatha is that Greek word, Lord, come soon. I think others are a little less eager for the return of Christ, though, others of us. I'll never forget a story. Uh, I stayed with a, with a man in Orofino, Idaho. When I was in middle school, we were in youth choir, and you'd tour, and you'd do your little song and dance thing, and they'd, you'd stay with different homes, host homes in the different churches in rural Washington and Idaho. And this man in Orofino, who had about four of us staying with him, he was incredibly wealthy. He'd chosen to retire in Orofino. He liked to dredge gold along the river from his beautiful home he could see down there. 
and he had a huge garage full of all kinds of classic cars and motorcycles. We were pretty wowed. But over after dinner, we're having dessert, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, my mom, she says, she's always saying, come soon, Lord. I don't want Jesus to come soon. I want to play with my toys. I got this new gold dredger I want to try out. I don't want him to come back. I'll never forget that. But I wonder if we have a little bit of that attitude in, our, in ourselves, too, where we say, I got some things I want to do first. And don't hear me saying that we shouldn't be able to enjoy this world or the things of this world. God made an amazing and beautiful world full of amazing people and opportunities. But if we get a glimpse of how good God is and what his hopes and plans and dreams are for us, it's like in the, 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 the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If we get a glimpse of just how good God is and all the things that he has in store for us and the presence of God in heaven, it all should pale in comparison. So go ahead and make your plans. You know, consider putting God at the front of those plans and pleasing God. And it's okay to enjoy this world, but don't be so attached to it that we forget that we're made for somewhere else. David really captures this well in Psalm 84, verse 10. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God, a servant opening and closing the gate, than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord our God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. He also talks about God's ability to, to please us and to satisfy our deepest longings in Psalm 16. This is a whole psalm of, of praise for God's goodness. And he wraps it up by saying, You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And it's, it's at God's right hand. That's the pleasure is being at God's right hand. We trivialize it when we say, I can't wait to go to heaven so I can play golf with Jesus on the back nine and uh, drive the ball 300 yards into the fairway. I can't wait for the biggest wakeboarding wave ever, and I'm not going to crash. I'm going to do the backflip. And I just hear terrible things spoken at funerals, and I'm like, ah, that's so much smaller than what Jesus has in store for us. But just think that every desire, every longing uh, that is going to be purely met in Jesus' presence. So whatever you can imagine, he's going to blow it out of the water. So do we long for more of Jesus? Are we eagerly anticipating his return? Are we just thinking, how can I get more out of this life? How can I use God to get even more of what I want for me because that's good for me? There's a scary quote from a pastor named John Piper. He says this, if you'd be happy in heaven without Jesus there, you won't be there. If you'd be happy in heaven without Jesus there, you won't be there. Jesus and, and the presence of him is our highest treasure, the treasure and prize and glory. And we had to have a longing for being with him. And maybe my illustration of longing for dad to come home doesn't strike a chord with you. Maybe that wasn't part of your experience. So I'll give you a different illustration that's played out almost every day in my home, just around the corner there. We got Buddy the Poodle secondhand. He's a used poodle. And his previous owner, when she gave us to us, free to a good home, said, he will get very attached to one of you, and that will be his person. And she was right. Within the first day, it was clearly Kim's dog. So 
the rest of us are okay if we have a treat or if he's really lonesome, he might come over and let us pet him. But his main goal in life is, where is Kim? How can I be with Kim? When will she come back? And when she is gone, I kid you not, he sits on the couch and looks out the window for her car all day. If we close the curtains, he goes and sits on the tile above the stairs and just waits. And he whines. And he's inconsolable. It's really, really pitiful. It's embarrassing. I almost got a video of what happens to display it for you. I didn't want to embarrass him. He has a little bit of dignity, not much. When he sees the car, here's the garage door. It's as if he's being tortured. He just flips out. He's yipping. He's spinning around. It's the best thing that's ever happened in the world. Happens every day at my house. If I had one-tenth of a longing for Jesus coming back, as Buddy has for Kim coming back, I'd be a much different Christ follower. So Jesus is coming back. It's very good news for God's people, and it's very bad news for God's enemies. And we should be filled with longing for that day and a longing for more of God when he comes. One of the coolest things when I was a kid is getting to join my dad in his work. I mentioned he worked at a business office. He'd go back a lot of evenings, and I'd beg to come along with him and play at Judy the secretary's desk. Am I right? Judy the secretary. She had colored paper all organized in this little drawer. She had staplers and pencils that were all sharpened and even an IBM Selectric typewriter. It was so cool going to dad's office. And uh, yet I mentioned even some of the, the jobs he would give us to do around the house. And it was so fun to do it with dad and like, I'm doing big boy jobs with my dad. It was just one of the coolest things in life. Did you know that our father invites us to join him in his work? And not just in a trivial way, not just playing around with the office furniture, you know, but really significant jobs to do. And we can confidently join God in his work because we know these promises are true about his return. So what is the work of God? What has God called us to do? Well, first, to use the remaining time to point more people toward Jesus. Verse 9, chapter 3, tells us the reason that God has not come back yet. He's not sent the Lord back yet. It says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants us to use the time, the talent, the gifts he's given us to introduce more people to Jesus. Here's a couple other examples of that. Ephesians 5, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We have a limited number of days and time and jobs the Lord has for us to do. He has his will for us to do, to show and tell the good news. Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says, Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer, answer each person. Do you know that God wants to use you to help others to repent and believe? Have you ever helped somebody in that direction? Uh, and it's encouraging to know that we, don't, we aren't all individually usually called to take someone from, say, a minus 10 of opposition to God to a plus 10 of missionary to Indonesia. But well, we might have a chance to play a part of that, taking them from a minus 10 to a minus 7, or a minus 3 to a minus 1, or a minus 1 over the line of faith in Jesus, putting their trust in Jesus and getting to be there for that awesome moment, or helping somebody who is young in Christ to grow, or someone who is a teenager in Christ to become more fully devoted to him. But has, has God used you? Are you ready for him to use you? Earlier in this series, we heard that really well-known verse, 
be prepared to give an answer that, for the hope that's within you. Do you have an answer ready to give? If someone asks you, you really, you really believe that stuff in that old book? What would you say? One thing we like to practice in my home group is the, the BC and AD stories. Have you ever had that chance to tell somebody before Christ, I was, you know, fill in the blank, self-absorbed, building my own stuff. Uh, he was, my life was miserable or whatever. It doesn't have to be miserable, but I was, I was focused on me. And then I met Jesus. And here's what that was like. And here's the difference he's made in my life. The BC, AD story. Have you got that ready? Would you be willing to tell somebody in an elevator in three minutes if they see you with your Bible or they see you with your fish on your cap or something and they say, Christian, I didn't think you were one of those people. What would you say? Another thing I'll, I'll often work through with people is just most people, I think, are trying to earn God's favor in some way. They're slavishly trying to be good enough for God. So have you ever asked somebody, you know, what's your standard of goodness? What do you think is good enough to get to heaven? And sometimes I'll ask someone to name the best person they can think of. Maybe it's Billy Graham who died last year or Mother Teresa or their mom or their grandma. And then think of the worst person they can think of and we'll mark those on, the, on, a, on a napkin, on a little scale. And I'll say, well, where, where are you on that scale? Well, maybe I'm, I'm not as good as grandma, but I'm better than you know, Hitler, so I'm somewhere in here. And I say, you know, the standard isn't Mother Teresa or grandma. The standard is heaven. The standard is the ceiling. We can't reach that. We need a savior. Even, the, even Mother Teresa, even Billy Graham said, I need a savior. So if you ever have any kind of tools like that for personal evangelism. I think it's really important that we know there's a grand story that God's working out and not lose the plot of the story. Have you ever watched a movie and maybe it's an action movie and the hero is in grave danger and you think, he may not make it. This, this might be the end of the series. Is it possible this is where it ends? But if you know how the story ends, if you're watching, say, Iron Man, and you're like, well, there's an Iron Man too, so he's probably going to get out of this pinch, and he does. You can relax and you can enjoy the movie, right? If you know how the story ends, you can enjoy and get a little less anxious. A few weeks ago in my home, as it happens almost every day, we were watching Little House on the Prairie. I got four little girls, so about 10 episodes a week of Little House on the Prairie are playing at my house. And there was one where the, the girls were really concerned that Ma might have to amputate her own leg. It was looking scary. And, and the little two ones left the room and they said, we can't watch this. It says, Turn it, tell us when it's over, you know, we'll come back in. <coughs> and my wife said, you know how this ends. You've seen other episodes, later, uh, later seasons of this. Ma's not like on a peg leg hobbling around. She makes it. And they're able to come back in the room and start the episode again and finish it. And so because we know how the story ends, we know that Jesus wins and his kingdom is not thwarted, we can relax and we can say, okay, what is my part in this? I can finish the episode. Amazingly, even more, though, more so than just knowing how the story ends, you and I are called into the story. We're called into the plot as active participants. We don't just sit back there and watch and, and uh, enjoy our popcorn. Well, popcorn's great. Uh, we get to be part of the story ourselves, be at work with our Father. I want to quote some song lyrics for you in the spirit of Pastor Dick Burr. Uh, this is lyrics from the Australian Christian rock band, The Newsboys, from 1996. Some scathing and somewhat satirical lyrics, but they really, I think, point a target at us sometimes what our attitude is about the return of Christ. They say this, Jesus, when you come back again, would you bring me something from the fridge? 
I heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable here. Sigh, let's be blunt. I'm a little distracted. What do you want? Headaches and bad faith are all that I've got. First, I misplaced the ending, then I lost the plot. The next verse, we're sheep here. Out among the free-range sheep, while the big birds sharpened their claws. For a time, we stuck with a shepherd, but you wouldn't play Santa Claus. You didn't give us what we wanted for Christmas. Sigh, let's be blunt. We're a little distracted. What do you want? Once we could hear you, now our senses are shot. We've forgotten our first love. We have lost the plot. The amazing thing about this plot, brothers and sisters, as we are called into it, Peter says, as we obey the, the great commission of showing and telling the good news of Christ, we hasten the return of Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 24. He says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We're part of the story, and it matters. It makes a difference what you and I do. I like to think that if we're disobedient, it isn't that God's plan is thwarted. We just don't get to see that cool thing happening that we could have been a part of. Man, I could have seen that person get on fire for the Lord, or that cool opportunity at work was missed. God's still going to do His purposes, but we don't get that joy of being involved. It is so exciting to be about our Father's work. So not if, but when we have this lack of hunger for the return of Christ, what does Peter say we should do? First, make sure that you do know Jesus, that you do know and love Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Him? One of my favorite talks on Alpha, which we're having our last session of Alpha tonight, is how can I have faith? How can I know that I have a relationship with God? And Nikki Gumbel presents it, and he says, if you're married, you're going to know you're married. You shouldn't say, well, I, I think I'm married. That might, might be, maybe. People answer that about faith. Do you know that you have a relationship with God? People will say, well, I hope so. I'm not really sure. But we can know we have a relationship with God because there's a presence of a relationship. With the marriage, Nikki talks about a symbol like a ring. He talks about a piece of paper like a marriage license. He talks about a date like a wedding date. But if you were to ask me if I was married to Kim, and I said, well, yeah, I've got this ring on, don't I? Uh, I've got this wedding. It, was, it happened 22 years ago, don't you know? But most importantly, do I have a present relationship with that person? Uh, do I talk to her? And we, ha we can have an active, present, living relationship with Jesus. Do you know and love Jesus? And then secondly, a lot of us do love Jesus, but we maybe need to fall more deeply in love with him, be reminded of all the riches and glory that he has for us now as we join him in his work and in the, the day to come. And drawing near to others who are headed in the same direction is a great way to do this. That's why we have groups around here. That's why we try to get believers who are heading in the same direction uh, together to encourage each other. Like it says in 1 Thessalonians, encourage each other with these words all the more as you see that day approaching. And then finally, I think you can look for where is the kingdom, where are kingdom opportunities around you, where you live, where you work, where you play. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward, and as they do, I want us to think about some different ways we could respond to this message today. One is that maybe you never really have made a decision to place your faith in Jesus. You're just kind of here checking it out, say, these people seem nice enough, and they got good donuts, and you know, they're not too weird, uh, but you've never really made a decision to take yourself out of the driver's seat and put Jesus in the driver's seat. Your life's still all about you, how you can please yourself, how you can build up your own kingdom. You can pray with me in just a moment, and we could tell Jesus, this could be the day of salvation for you. 
You can also even mark on your communication card, I want to learn more about saying yes to trusting and obeying Jesus. We'll follow up with you. Another way to respond might be giving some of your resources to God's kingdom, your time, your, your talents, your treasures. That's one reason we take an offering at the end of every service. Sure, we have a church budget we'd like to be able to meet, and we have some good kingdom goals for the use of that money. But even more important than that, honestly, it is good for us to learn how to give and not to use all of our resources to please us and to say, how can I build my own kingdom, my own plans? It is so life-giving to learn to live open-handed rather than tight-fisted. And I think sometimes writing a check is easy. Giving of my time can be really hard. Maybe God's calling us to give and to invest somewhere uh, where, where there's an opportunity around us. Third, you might be wanting to redeem the time that's left and be intentional about inviting folks to, to know more about Jesus. Hopefully that's happening in the way that you're living, in the way that you're talking, but you might want to, as Anna said before, fill out one of these cards and just have a list of names to remind you who you'd like to be praying for, that they would come to know Jesus like you know Jesus. Maybe a response would be just a confession. Lord, I have lost the plot. I've, I've, I've forgotten my first love. I've made this a story about me. When I'm the central character. We need to confess. Maybe you just like to look for some kingdom opportunities around you. You'd like to put on Jesus glasses and see your coworkers, see your neighbors, see your family through Jesus lenses. You could write, you know, kingdom opportunities on here. We'll pray for you for that. We could even brainstorm with you what are some ways that God might be using you where you are right now. So with that, let's pray, and then Danny will lead us in a closing song as we take our offering. Jesus, you are such a good and amazing Savior. You call us, you give us your very life, the very life of Christ, through the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you that you came, and thank you that you are coming again. Help us to know what kind of a difference that makes for the way we can live our days in hope, in anticipation, in optimism. Even as things may or may not be good for us externally, we can root our hope in you and in our deeper fellowship and presence with you. As hardships come, Lord, drive us to you. As blessings and celebration come, drive us to you in praise, and may we share that with others. Lord, for some here who maybe have never, ever taken that step of placing their faith in you, putting you in the driver's seat, I pray that today might be the day of salvation, that they could pray, God, I'm sorry for the mess I've made in my life. Would you come in? Would you make me new by your Holy Spirit? May, may, make me live for you and not for myself. Fill me and make me anew by your Holy Spirit. And thank you, God, that even as we do falter and flag in our zeal, that you are there to pick us up. You're there to encourage us. You're there to point us back towards heaven. Give us a kingdom mindset. Give us a yearning and a longing for heaven. Come soon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.